Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay. Hello, y'all. Welcome to Don't Miss This. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. We are glad all of y'all are here. Welcome. If you didn't see last week, we started a new Instagram account that you can find uh, all things Don't Miss This on. It's called Don't Miss This Study. So some great supplements to some of these lessons, questions, ideas, and quotes and things that you might want there. So that's just one more help if you didn't uh, catch that last week. Yeah. Yep. Okay, we are starting the book of 2 Corinthians today, 1 through 7, seven. move over here. Uh, You might want to know, be interested in knowing, um, that a lot of people think 2 Corinthians is actually maybe two letters put together. Um, That's just fancy Bible scholar stuff. What we do know is that Paul, somewhere in between 1 and 2 Corinthians, had another visit to the city of Corinth, and then now he is writing this letter sort of in... Uh, reflection of that middle visit in there. And it's hard to tell from the book of Acts when that happened. What we do know is that when he was there, it wasn't a very like happy trip. Um, you kind of get evidence of that in 2 Corinthians, that something happened where um, he was really offended and the work kind of uh, it was a big stumbling block for the growth of the church, that there was a group of people who fought against him. Like you just get evidence in there that it was not a super productive, happy, good trip for Paul when he went. It's interesting because a lot of times we look in scripture um, and we find stories where um, it's telling us the the end of something. This is how it all worked out. This is the miracle. This is the promise. This is um, kind of that part of the story. This is going to be a really interesting read for us because this is the middle of the story. We don't really know what happened. We're not sure how it's going to resolve. What we hear is Paul talking about needing comfort, going through affliction, asking for an increase of the spirit, all of the things each of us probably would do um, if we were in the middle moments of a really hard place, if we felt like we were up against something hard or going through affliction. That's kind of what we want to pull out today um, are for the times when you are in need of extra strength or you're going through something hard, there's going to be some great things in here you're going to be able to look to and gain strength from. So he starts right off by actually talking about this idea of comfort. Because what's interesting is Paul is working through the issues Mm -hmm. with the saints at the same time. He's working through them and he's counseling them how to work through them also. That word comfort comes up all throughout the New Testament. We heard it in in the Last Supper chapters, John 14, talking about the comforter. Um, that word actually comes from a Latin translation. Um, that's the way that, at least in the King James Bible, they took the Latin translation of it. So comforter comes from the Latin words comfortis, which means with strength. So sometimes we think of comforter as someone coming to you and healing your wounds after you've been wounded. There is an emphasis here that it also means someone coming to you and strengthening you during the battle instead of afterwards, after you've been wounded, but coming to be with you, a helper next to you to work through um, your issues and your problems and and burdens side by side with you. So that's kind of another neat definition of comforter, not just a 
um, a hospital, but mm -hmm. a, a warrior next to you in battle also. And we are going to watch that happen in three ways in Corinthians. So we're going to start right there because we're first going to watch how God becomes a comforter. Second, we're going to watch how someone can come and actually comfort you. And then, as a representative. As a representative of God. And then last, he's going to teach us how to become a comfort to someone else. So there's there are great lessons here on that word comfort. The first one starts right at the very beginning. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we are going to read 3, 5, and 11. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted um, of God. And then it says, Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. And there are so many one-liners in these three verses that are so good. You might want to take a little bit of time just to go through and, and sit with these verses. I love these names for the Father that we are given. The Father of Mercies. Isn't that a great title? And also the God of All Comfort. Um, but I also love as, as he goes through and talks about this, that he says he's, he's not only going to comfort us in our own tribulation, but he's going to teach us by how he tutors us how to then reach out and comfort someone else through that process um, so that we are able to give all comfort and also bestow those same mercies. It makes me think of a time recently in my life where this happened. Um, I... In our family, we have got a gene mutation, which makes it so we get melanomas on the regular, and that happens to me all the time. And so about a month ago, I was into the doctor and was diagnosed with my third melanoma. And although I know what to do because it has happened so frequently, and um, I have a really good doctor who is really good at taking care of it, it still stresses you out to have someone tell you you have something that is not right in your body. And we did everything we needed to do. We got all ready. We scheduled the surgery date. Everything was going to happen. But um, I don't know if this happens to any of you, but it happens to me when it was late at night and everyone was asleep and I was laying in my bed. And I just was thinking about preparing myself for that process to start again and the healing and the recovery. And the last time I did it, it did not go very well. And so I had a little bit of that fear and anxiety building up and I had been praying a lot for just a smoother experience than the last one and I was laying in bed and I had exactly what Paul was describing I had that fear I had that anxiety I had that nervousness about what was going to happen and um, as I was in my bed praying I got this text on my phone and it was a cute friend of mine who um, whose family has been through several hard things this year and they have gone through the process of that fear and that anxiety and the unknowing and the preparing for things they didn't want to do. And she just shot a quick text over to me that said, I'm thinking about you tonight and praying for you. And then she sent this little um, meme, this scripture, um, just a cute little scripture that had been all decorated and sent it to me. And I read the scripture. And it is my favorite scripture in all of scripture, like hands down my top favorite scripture in Isaiah um, chapter 43, and it's in the first five verses. And not very many people know that scripture. Also, my favorite way of reading it, it includes taking out a million words, so you're just reading phrase to phrase to phrase. 
And somehow this meme had come with all the right mm. words that are the words that I love in it. And I read it and I just started to cry and I texted back to her, did you know that was my favorite scripture? And she wrote back and said, oh no, I had no idea. But I saw this today and thought of you. And she had sent it over. And I probably read that scripture 20 times before I went to bed that night. And the impression that came to me so clearly wasn't just the scripture that I love, but it was the fact that a father of mercies looked down at a daughter in her bedroom who was afraid and filled with anxiety and needed comfort and then looked through all the people who were within my circle and said, oh, here's one who's awake and she will know what to do because of what she's already been through this year. And he sent a prompting to her that he knew she would follow. And because she followed the prompting, then comfort came to my room that night. And I love how that works. I love how God knows how to orchestrate in each of our lives that he sees the one he knows will answer to comfort the one he knows will struggling. And that's one of the ways God has all mercy and can send all comfort is because he works through each of us. Right, and what's neat about that story is it's that verse four where it says, it's by the comfort wherewith we ourselves have been comforted of God, that because we've been tutored by the way he comforts, then we're a natural, it's a natural mm -hmm. way of then comforting somebody else. Like you said, she'd been through those experiences before, which is really neat. I love that he's called um, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm. because then we learn like, oh, when you see Jesus Christ in in the New Testament, the way that he is comforting, he learned that from his father. He learned how to go to the one. He learned how to meet people where they are from his own father mm -hmm. also, like he inherited that. That's so good. But you'll see in the in the next section of verses that we have on here in chapter seven, sort of the same idea. This but, is such a um, good one too. Yeah, I love this so much. Mm -hmm. When he left, remember, and he left sort of after a fight and a mess and he was just like, he just left unsettled, you know, from the whole experience of being in Corinth. You know that happens sometimes. You leave a certain situation and you're just like, oh, I just feel gross about it. I want to go back and like solve it. I can't go to bed until this is resolved. He says, we were come to Macedonia. Our flesh had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Without were fightings. Within were fears. Nevertheless, God, that comforted those who are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming only by the consul but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you and so I love that he says God comforted us um, by sending Titus and I had this experience several years ago we were in a, uh, in a hospital waiting room because there had been an accident and um, there were people at fault and there were um, it was just a mess. Like the whole thing was a mess. Happily, nobody was hurt, but it just the potential of what could have happened scared you. And, and I sat in there with a, with a mom um, while uh, her son who was at fault was, you know, getting fixed and the family that they, he hit in the car was being worked on. And the elders quorum president was there too. And she was just beside herself, as you would imagine. And her mom called and she was talking to her mom. And you know, you can kind of overhear, I wasn't eavesdropping y'all, I promise, <laughs> but you know how you can kind of overhear what's happening on a phone if somebody's really close to you. And this mom had said, I just don't understand 
why God's abandoned us. Like, where is he in this situation? And her wise mother said back to her, um, look around the room and tell me who's there. And she looked around and she said, well, my neighbor's here and my bishop's here and um, my elders court president's here and um, the sister from the Relief Society presidency is here. And then her mom said back to her, that means God is there. And her wise mother was able to see that some of the ways that God comforts us, like he says here, the God that comforts those who are cast down, he does it um, by the coming of uh, other people. Yeah, it's so good. You just love the thought of the mom just saying, God has not abandoned you. Yeah. You know, look around. Look right. around that room. And, and then it makes each of us want to make sure we are there in right. that moment. You know, just... Um, like stories like that make you want to be that person. Yeah, you almost want to pray. Be the covenant keeper. Be the right. person who mourns and comforts and strengthens. Be the one who goes. I had someone give me this advice several years ago, and I've passed it on, and I just loved it so much. This, the idea of what if you woke up in the morning and you just said, um, Lord, I might not be the most capable, but I'm available, mm. and send me on an errand. Like, who do you need? And to be watching for that all day long. And when the impressions come to send the texts or to visit or to mm -hmm. whatever, like you're just, I love that idea yeah, of like just so starting the day and saying, send me on an errand, you know? Yep, I love Mary Ellen Edmonds says, um, in times of distress, pray that a covenant keeper is within reach. Mm. And it's that same thing. Just, I just want to be available. I want to be this one someone can reach for, and I'm willing to live the covenant in that moment, to bear, to mourn, to comfort, to strengthen, um, you know, to learn from the Father. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, and what's this last one? Oh, it's such a good one. Oh, okay, chapter back to chapter two. two. Oh, we didn't say the chapters on all those last ones, but you can look on the worksheet, sorry. And this one's in 2 Corinthians 2, and it's going to be 7 through 11, and I'll read it, and you can tell your story about it. Um, oh, I want to go to 7. Chapter 2, 7 through 11. So, oh, so before she reads us the background, remember I kind of hinted this at the beginning and said it, that we don't know what happened when Paul went there. All we know is what he writes right mm -hmm. here, that somebody, you know, really offended Paul and did something that was, you know, that was really troublesome to him and, and the, the branch of the church that was there. And so this is his advice about that. Yep. And I love when he says this, you need to forgive him and comfort him. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Who loves when it's overmuch yeah. sorrow? Like, <laughs> it's just too much. It's more than too much. It's overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. Um, and I just, I love that thought. Don't just forgive, but then you need to comfort and when you're done forgiving and comforting, you need to confirm that you still love him, that yeah. everything's still going to be okay. And obviously, like we've said this before, obviously there are boundaries that need to be set mm -hmm. in certain circumstances. But I love that he says in verse 11, forgive him lest Satan takes advantage of that circumstance. Because when you've got a circumstance where somebody feels sorry for what they've done and forgiveness is withheld, like they are so overcome by guilt and regret for what they've done and how much healing can come to a person um, by being forgiven mm -hmm. by another. And we have, we've got a friend and she told us this story recently. Um, she does a ministry uh, within um, prisons. So goes and will um, 
uh, teach classes in prisons to the prisoners and came across a prisoner who was there who everybody was afraid of. Um, because she was just this mean, mean lady. And, Angry and yeah, violent, just, and you just did not want to get on her bad side. Ever, you know? And uh, you kind of were glad she was in jail a little bit. And uh, one day she went, and she said she just was kind of drawn to this woman, you know, and wanted to preach her the good news, right, of second chances. And all the other prisoners, isn't this funny that it's other prisoners who are like, nope. Don't. That woman will never change. You know, it's prisoners who are telling her this woman is never going to change. And she goes one time and they're like, you know, where is she? I, you know, I thought she was going to be here. And she's like, well, she's in solitary confinement um, because she beat up one of the prison guards pretty good. Um, and so she was like, oh, but she still kind of kept working with her, you know, and when she got out, preached to her, she's like, well, she found out later that this woman, her time in prison was up. And she had changed while she was in jail. And she had, you know, found the grace of God and wanted to live a new kind of life. So the day she got out of jail, she goes and finds a phone book and just looks up a random church. And she finds a church on there and she goes into the church and happens to go into this church um, during a service. And she walks into the service and, and finds a pew and it is going and she looks down the row and there down the row was the woman guard, um, who was the one she had beaten up, was in the same like pew with her. And she said that woman came out of her pew, circled around, came over to her, and just wrapped her up in, in a big embrace. And they just cried together. And the guard said to the previous prisoner, uh, I'm not your guard and you're no longer my prisoner but together we are sisters in Christ. And just the power of, imagine this woman who's like, can I really be different? Mm -hmm. Can I really overcome like what I used to be? And how much strength she was given in that moment by that guard forgiving her and saying, yes, you can. I forgive you. I, I confirm my love for you. That, that I believe that about mm -hmm. you, what, what your, your future can hold. And, and we just, so good. we love these three yeah, those words. Those three steps, you don't just forgive, but you also comfort and then you confirm your love. Um, it's just an interesting set of steps of forgiveness. And I just was thinking just barely, that's been my experience where I feel like with my relationship with the Lord, mm -hmm. that I don't only feel like, okay, it's wiped off the record, David, you know? Yeah. Like it's some sort of like ledger or something, but I feel like... Um, comfort, forgiveness, and a confirmation of of God's love yeah. for me, you know, also. Yeah. So, so good. Such an awesome part. Yeah, okay. all this whole part on comforting. There are so many good lessons to remember there. Oh, and let's end it with this one verse we love so much in, oh, yeah. in chapter 5, verse 20, which is, as we do this, as we confirm our love, as we strengthen others, as we forgive them, sex, I mean, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says, we become ambassadors for Christ that we become his representatives because that's exactly the way that he yep. lived his and life. And it, it's that thought of just being available, being, um, even if we're not the most qualified, at least we are available and we can go and love and serve like he would. Yeah. So good. Um, okay, another thing Paul loves to talk about, and we've talked about this a lot so far, but um, we just wanna make mention of it one more time is, he loves to talk about the power of living in the Spirit and what life looks like when the Spirit is a part of your life. 
Um, it's interesting because we have been having a lot of conversations about this lately. Um, both of us are authors, so when we're not doing Don't Miss This, we spent a lot of time writing. We both write a lot the same, and we both edit each other's books, so when we're writing, we're both in whatever yeah, we're what? writing. <laughs> whatever it is, it's our constant conversation. And um, David has been asked to write three books on the Godhead, so the first one's out. It's called Almighty, and it's on the Father. Is the second one out yet? In the fall. I don't know. Maybe by the time okay. this So goes, the second one is coming, and it is... Redeemer. Redeemer, it's and it's Jesus. all about Jesus. It's so good. And the third one he's working on, which means we're working on, um, and it is <laughs> going to be you. on the Spirit. And so we have been having so many conversations about the Spirit, and we love this verse in 2 Corinthians 3. And let's give a little bit of background yeah. to this. And it is because when he, remember one of Corinth, the, the people of Corinth, one of their problems was they didn't think Paul was a very good apostle. They go, you just don't look like the typical like church leader. You don't look, you're not a philosopher. You're not super smart. And so there was kind of that struggle that was there. And so Paul is real. Paul admits it. Remember we mm -hmm. talked about last week, he was just like, look, yeah. by the grace of God, I'm here. I get it. Like I'm the least of everybody, but my qualification comes by, because I lean into the spirit, you know? Um, and he's going to tell this um, in three through six, which is such a great set of verses. A little bit hard to understand in the King James Version, so you wish you were reading with a, a, um, a version that was easier, ESV or NIV. But let's just walk or. through, or the message. Let's just walk through and see what he's saying here. So he says, um, for, and you love also that Paul is a very visual teacher, so you want to be imagining what he's telling you. So he says, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ manifested by us, or an epistle would be a letter or a witness of Christ, and, and you were manifested by us. And this letter, this epistle was written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables, ta tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. It's just such a great picture because he's like, listen, this is who you are becoming. You are becoming this epistle. And it's written not with ink on paper. It's written by the spirit on your heart. That's what's happening to you. Don't you love the imagery of that? And, um, and such have we through Christ to God were not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. We talked about that last week when we talked about the um, living the surrendered life. It's you become completely sufficient on God. So you're becoming this epistle. It's written on your heart. Um, and you are going to become sufficient on God is what he's telling so you. So fun to be a, a letter. You know, yes. it's like you are God's love letter to the yes. world. Like that's yes. when and, he and wants it, to send a message, he sent you. Like, he right? sent you and he's going to fill you with the spirit. And he says this, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. The New Testament, you could switch out for Jesus. So he's made you ministers of um, Jesus Christ, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And I love the thought of that, that he's like, here, let us write on your hearts through the power of the spirit, because it is the spirit that is going to give life. And that is so true. We keep talking about that, that if we could understand the power of the gift of the Spirit, that we actually have the opportunity to have a member of the Godhead present with us at all times. Do we understand the magnitude of that? That He is able to write on our hearts. He is able to give us 
life. He's, he can increase our capacity in every area. That's the power of the Spirit. Like the thought of what the Spirit can do for us is you almost can't even comprehend the goodness of the gift that we have been given. And when Jesus promised that gift to the disciples, he said, the promise begins with him saying, like, I'm about to tell you the truth, as if he ever lied. <laughs> but like almost as if, look, you know, back in John 14, you probably won't believe what I'm about to say, but I need to leave so that the Spirit can come because that is going to be a greater advantage to you. And at first thought, it's like, that can't be true. You know, the disciples are thinking, to have the Spirit in our hearts as a trade-off to having you by our side, I'd rather have you. And he's like, no, no, trust me. Having the Spirit in your hearts is more advantageous to having than having me right next to you, right? Um, and, and that is such, for him to say that is such mm -hmm. a powerful, powerful Right, promise. and it makes us want to start thinking about what is my relationship with the Spirit like? And am I using that relationship to its fullest capacity? Am I living within the privilege I could be living within? Yeah. So what Paul does in chapter 6 is he just says, let me give you a list of evidences um, that the Spirit is moving and working in our ministry. And this could be a, a, a way more expanded list. Mm -hmm. But he just gives like a, a, you know several that are here. My favorite one is actually in verse 11. But that he says that our heart is enlarged. He says, one of the evidences I know that the Spirit is... Um, in me is I have an enlarged heart for people. I love quicker. I'm I'm more patient. Uh, like something is happening in me that I know this is beyond my normal capacity. It's so weird. To how how did I love that person that is mean? Or how do I love that person who is a stranger? And it's like a, it's legitimate. Like you've had those experiences before where you have love for a person that is not lovable. You know, mm -hmm. um, and he is saying that's evidence of this, the spirit of God working in you because God, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit do love that person who's unlovable. And so when that happens, your heart is enlarging. That's evidence that the spirit is is working yep. with you in your ministry. And I love at the beginning of these chapters, he wants to tell us this is where you can feel this increase. Um, it can be when you need patience, in affliction, in necessities, in distress. We're in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians. Um, in um, tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, um, all of these things. I love when he talks about um, that it's through the Holy Ghost that you're going to have all of these things happening. But then in 7 is the part that stands out to me. He says this, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And it's interesting as you think about that power that is with us. And when it talks about on the right hand and on the left, and um, usually in times of battle, in times of trouble, you would, um, if you were preparing for battle, you would have a sword in one hand and a shield on the left. So as an offense and as a defense, you would have both of those things. That's what you're preparing for. But I also love this thought about on the right hand and the left for this reason. All of the kids in our family played lacrosse. Greg was the coach for every single one of them. He first coached the high school varsity boys team, and then he coached the girls team right after. And um, our kids would not only go to practice, but they loved to go down to the field and just practice in their own time. And, and what they were practicing was something specific. 
And those who are lacrosse players will know this. You can't just have a right hand shot in lacrosse. You have to have a right hand and a left hand shot, which is tricky because most people are usually better at one or the other, depending on which is your dominant hand. And so the kids would all go down and they would practice that left hand shot. And in order to practice, it included bouncing the wall, a ball off the wall with your right hand, but then also a hundred times with your left hand. And then you would shoot with your right hand and then you would go and shoot with your left hand. And the, the kids who are the best at lacrosse, the very best athletes in lacrosse are the athletes who have both a right hand and a left hand shot. And I love, as he's talking about this, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, it just makes me think of, sometimes it takes practice. It, it takes really being diligent to say, I wanna get good at this. I want to get good at being able to communicate with the Spirit, being able to respond to the Spirit, being able to live by the Spirit. That's something we practice. It's not something that is just, um, we come already good at doing. We have to learn the voice of the Spirit. We learn the language of the Spirit. We learn how the Spirit communicates to us. And even in the process of learning, we still are tutored. I had an interesting experience this week. Um, my kids and I, one of the things that we've been praying for a lot in our family is an increase of the Spirit. I've told you this before. Every single day I pray that my kids will have an increase of the Spirit, that they will know what to do and what to say. And also as a mom, because all my kids are gone and they're not right here, um, I pray to be prompted by the Spirit if there's anything that I could help them with, wherever they are. And I pray for it every single morning. And I will usually take notes of if there's something I need to tell that child or I feel is important for that child during that time while I'm praying. I'll write it down. And then I just shoot my kids texts and they're just used to it. They know that's what happens. I'll just say, I've been praying about you and here's, um, here's some inspiration that came and I just send it. And we don't necessarily talk about it. We don't ever like, they, they just take it and go on with their life and I feel good because I've given it to them and that's the end of that. And it happens on the regular. That's kind of how I mom nowadays is I just pray if I get inspiration for anybody, I just send it on. And last week, um, some really clear inspiration came that didn't necessarily make sense to me, um, but I figured it would make sense to the child who I was sending it to. And so I just texted the information and sent it over and it actually didn't make sense to the child. And he ended up calling me back and he's like, this does not make sense. I don't know why you sent me this thing. And and I didn't know why I had sent it. It's just what I felt impressed about. And um, as we were talking, he's like, I don't think it's right. I don't, th it doesn't make sense. That it's, it's not quite right. And I was like, okay, I will get back on my knees tomorrow morning and I will ask for clarification. And I will send it back to you because it had felt really important at the time. And so I kneeled down to pray about it again the next morning and um, the same inspiration came exactly as it had come. And then I responded and said, but it doesn't make sense to he or I. And then the most interesting thing happened. The Spirit said to me, tell that child to pray for an increase of the Spirit and understanding the inspiration will come to him. And so I just texted that in the thing. I wrote exactly what inspiration had been again. And then I just said, you're supposed to pray for an increase of the spirit and understanding the inspiration will come to you. And about four hours later, I got a phone call back and he said, mom, um, you were right. I know what it means now. 
I know, I know what you were trying to tell me. And I thought it was so interesting that we, we have to practice this. It's not, it doesn't just come easy. It doesn't come easy for any of us. It's, we're learning this language of the spirit. And, and this phrase right here, the spirit giveth life. We're learning how to live in the spirit. And we probably will be tutored until the day we die, what yeah. that looks like. I don't think any of us will ever become proficient in it, but we can get better and better every single day. And I just love the promise that he says on the right and on the left, because there's so many times when I feel like I'm, I'm right-handed, right? And I just feel like there's so many situations I'm in where I feel like I'm only using my left hand. I feel uncomfortable in it. Mm -hmm. I feel inadequate in it. I feel clumsy in it. And the promise is there, right? That it's just like, I will be on that side also. I'll strengthen, I'll be on the right, and I'll be in those times when you feel like I am being put in a left-handed situation right now where I'm not, um, I'm not very good at this, mm -hmm. which is great because it's that whole idea of we rely and lean. That's what Paul's saying. It's like we lean on the Spirit, you know, in, mm -hmm. in the temptation of, yeah. you know, being strong is I'm going to do it myself. Yes. You know, so that's great that we have a left hand. It's great yes. that this is hard. It's great that it requires practice because it requires us, it demands of us that we lean and, and that, we, that we trust, mm -hmm. you know. I think one of my, like, that won't make me very popular to say this. I think one of my least favorite, like, church phrases that we use is... Um, What's that one where you're like, um, do food storage and stuff like that and you're self-sufficient? Yeah, self-reliant. Self-reliant. Self yeah, self-reliant. Every time I hear that phrase, I know what it means. I get it. <laughs> a I million get, people are going to email me. I know. Like, it's like, Here, listen, this is what it actually means. I sat in a meeting one time and I was like, we need to learn to be self-reliant. And I raised my hand and I was like, should we be God-reliant? I think that's a better idea. I know what it means, everybody. <laughs> but but it is, I like we, the idea of... There's something that makes us feel in control when we are self-reliant in a situation like this. And it's almost as if, again, we, we just have to submit into being willing to let God yeah. lead. He knows, right. he knows better. He just knows better. Right, right. Yeah. So that's our. I want. Let's be God reliant. That's let's so make good. that. Let's make that program instead. Yep. And still get your food storage or whatever. <laughs> but, but really, like Jesus's style is right. Daily bread. Yes. You know, and he might not be talking about bread. Put your wheat under the bed, okay? But what he's talking about is every day. I want you to rely on me. Every single day, mm -hmm. I want you Which to come to me. Which is why he's given us the gift of. His spirit, the constant companionship. You can. Right? I love when Elaine Dalton says um, that there is something about knowing that a member of the Godhead is within whispering distance. Mm -hmm. um, I just think it Come is on. such a great um, image to realize he is just with us all of the time. Um, Elaine, can I put that in my book? Oh, I'm just gonna, I got to call <laughs> you. So good. Um, so. As we go through um, the rest of Corinthians, and then we've started looking into Galatians. Everybody, you already can't wait for Galatians. Um, and it's, I think, in two weeks away. But we're going to start watching Paul do some really great one-liners. And um, in, in the end of this, or in the end of these chapters, we start capturing some of those one-liners. We just want to point those out to you. Sometimes it's fun to underline what we call power phrases or just scriptures that are going to give you strength. You might want to hang them somewhere in your house. Um, we pulled out four of our favorites. The first one is in... And when we were done, we gave them this title. We, like we looked yes. at all of them. We were yes. like, oh, these almost are like the end of saying, because Jesus dot, dot, dot. 
you know, yep. and then there's... This happens. Yeah. Um, so these are just some great ones. We love this one in 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Um, it says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. And who loves that word triumph? And it makes me think, we had the opportunity to be involved in a, um, in a huge production last weekend called the Jubilee that was just amazing. It was so much fun, and um, everything about it should not have happened. Really, everything. We were up against so many things that just weren't right. Um, we brought in some Christian speakers who we loved, but usually Latter-day Saints and Christian speakers, traditional Christians, do not speak together on the same stage. And in fact, it was really hard for us to find someone who would come and share a stage with us. And we're just so grateful for the three women who did come. And as we were getting ready to set up the park, we had all these great ideas and dreams and what it was going to look like. And it was going to require a lot of work to get it up. And I had been diagnosed with the melanoma just before and ended up having to have surgery on Monday before the event was going to be on Saturday. And there was nothing we could do about it. And so I was in recovering um, while trying to plan this huge I'm like smiling. In case anyone thinks I'm laughing at the melanoma. I remember that I actually stole her scooter um, to try and get somewhere faster and totally biffed on it. And that's the memory that came. Yes, because like, they made me ride on for... a scooter in the morning because so my stitches and my swelling and like everything about leading up to that moment, the timing and the, just every obstacle that could get in the way got in the way. And you know how it is when you've been trying to plan something big. And um, that morning we woke up, Greg and I did at five in the morning and um, we were in the car driving down to the event place at 5.40 in the morning. And I don't go anywhere in the fives ever because <laughs> who even wakes up in the fives? Bless you Jenny. if you do. And Jenny. And um, as we were driving down there, Greg, who is an event planner by profession, started saying to me, now listen, everything's probably not going to be ready by two. Like you need to prepare yourself right now that... that the odds that the tents are going to be up, all the chairs are going to be set, the stage is going to be up, the band is going to be ready, the sound's going to be working, the caterer is going to have come. In these six hours, you need to start preparing yourself right now that logistically that probably isn't going to happen. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm planning for it to be ready at two. And he's like, I'm just telling you, you should be. Yeah. be preparing just in case. And I just looked at him and, and just two words came out of my mouth, but God, um, like really probably none of this should work out. I just got diagnosed with a melanoma and had surgery on Monday. The odds that we're going to get two Christian speakers in here that are willing to stand up shoulder to shoulder and testify of Christ with a Latter-day Saint, the odds that the tents will go up and the ribbons and the, all of these things, like realistically, it shouldn't work. It, I shouldn't have been on the stage. Those women shouldn't have come. The tent shouldn't have gone up by two. All of those things, but God. And somehow God just knows how to orchestrate and pull things together and make things work. And, and this scripture, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And I have seen witness of that in my life over and over and over again. Even when all the odds say no, but God. And that's what the feeling was at the very end of the whole event, that this was a triumph, it was a victory, it was a win. And the overwhelming feeling behind it all was, wasn't he so good mm -hmm. to us, mm -hmm. you know? So good. I love this next one so much. Um, 
It's in chapter 4, 8 through 10. I love it because a lot of times when we talk about like that triumph and everything, we don't necessarily know what that's going to look like. And we have in our mind that the triumph is going to mean that everything goes exactly as we want it to, that um, that the disease is cured, that um, relationships are, are fixed, that that's sometimes what we think and expect out of God. And sometimes that does happen, you know. Um, but Paul says here this in, in chapter 4, verse 8, um, 8 and 9, all, thinking about those times when things don't work out um, the way that you hoped they were or the way that you expected or, um, or whatever. And he says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. That even when things fall to pieces, you know, and it's just like, ah, oh, they're not how we wanted them to go. He says, yes, you're as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you are going to have trouble. You are going to be perplexed. You are going to be persecuted and you are going to be cast down. But the promise is because of Jesus, you won't be distressed. You won't be in despair. You mm. won't be forgotten and you will not be ruined. Right, and so there is something really neat about still having that hope that God is still working in this. Like yeah, you might so be good. worried, but you won't be ruined. And then uh, this next one, which is in chapter one, um, verses twenty to twenty-two, um, I, I love this one. Uh, it says, "For all the promises of God in Him are yes." Um, Meaning, uh, because of Jesus, um, all in the ESV it says all our promises are yes in Him. Um, I had a friend who told me the story about his little boy the other day who like woke up one morning for breakfast and came down just little. He's little, little, and he says, "All my wishes come true because I talk to Jesus." <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, you got to go back to chapter four. Sometimes yeah. you know they don't, but that whole idea of all of the promises that God has ever made are still valid and they are going to be yes um, because of Jesus, you know? Um, and that is just a, a, you remember that line from the Christmas song, what is it? The hopes and fears of all the years are met in the tonight. What song is that? Bethlehem. Things might be shaky along the way, but eventually all the promises are, are and all things will work out to good because of him. God can say yes because of Jesus. Yep. You know? And I love if you just read down uh, um, th through those verses, there's so many good things in there. But at the end of 22 where it says, he's given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts. And mm. I love the thought of that. That it, The spirit is, is, again, he's just telling us, it's not just the spirit, it's the spirit in earnest. It's, you know, it's just all that goodness. And another way to read that, that I've always read that, is earnest money. Mm. You know when you like, if you buy a house or something like that, you put down earnest money that says, I promise you I'm good yes. for the rest of the money. So let me just put down this little like token of that at the beginning. And sometimes when things are perplexing and not really working out, the spirit will give us that earnest. Mm -hmm. You're just like, look, all your promises are not being worked out yet. But let me just give you this little token, mm -hmm. this little confirmation um, that they will eventually work out. God's almost saying, I'm good for the money. Oh, I promise. So good. Um, you also love in 24 that they are helpers of our joy. We're helpers of your joy. <laughs> I love that part. Um, and this last one that we love um, in chapter 7, verse 1, 
there um, are two words there that we've just been thinking so much about as we've been working on this lesson. Um, the words perfecting holiness. And as you look at this whole um, lesson and everything that we're talking about here this week, in essence, that is what we're talking about is just perfecting holiness. We're, it's something that we're working on is living with God and in God's truths and everything that he has for us. And as we become more like him, we learn how to comfort. Um, we learn how to be his ministers. We learn how to be on his errand. We learn how to be available um, also with the spirit working in us. And as this whole cycle takes place, we're perfecting holiness. That's what we're doing. We are becoming set apart. We're becoming consecrated. We are becoming complete in who God knows we can be. And it's just a great way to end with the thought of um, this week, maybe we all work on perfecting holiness. Yeah, and that idea of that word perfecting is that present progressive, mm -hmm. right? That is just like right before it, he says, cleanse us from all filthiness, you know? And, and we just think like, ah, oh, I... I'm not there. I, there's so much about me that's that's not right still. And and that, but then that follow-up phrase of, yeah, holiness is being perfected in you. It's it's working and moving in you. It's a process and it's a and journey. And we're all and, working together. Right. All of us. That's part of being part of this faith community. And um, we just shoulder to shoulder. We're all working on perfecting holiness yeah. together. It's we so love fun. doing this with y'all. This yep. is so fun. Yep. Okay. See you next, See you next week. week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.